Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest podcast episode, 919, with Michael Keat about his new book entitled Moneyfulness, Learning to Live with Money. This podcast, number 919, is brought to you by Serge Pringle, author of another new book entitled The Proactive 12 Steps, A Mindful Program for Lasting Change. If you want to know more about Sir Pringle and his new book, please visit his website at www.activepause.com. That's www.activepause.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my engaging interview with author Michael Keat about his new book entitled Moneyfulness, Learning to Live with Money. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from the Netherlands is Michael Keat. And Michael has a book out called Moneyfulness and Learning to Live with Money. This is a wonderful book um, for anybody that's looking to not only manage their money, but set a mindset of abundance in their life. Uh, Because Michael is as much about mindfulness, because it's called moneyfulness, um, as he is anything. And Michael, before we get started, I'm going to let our listeners know a little bit about you. uh, And I'm going to give them the highlights. When you go to Michael's website, moneyfulness, that's M-O-N-E-Y-F-U-L-N-E-S-S dot M-E, Um, There you'll learn about Michael and his courses. Uh, He's going to uh, provide these courses also to our listeners um, at a little bit of a discount. Uh, So we will put putting links up to the courses as well. But in a nutshell, in a nutshell, Michael has a really interesting story, but I'm just going to tell the nutshell version that's at his website. Uh, He was kicked out of school, underprivileged youngster, he said. Uh, he re-entered school at 21 at the age of 30, got a bachelor's degree in finance, and he worked as a finance director at a company that employed 400 people. Uh, then he started his own business at 43, so kind of late stage entry, found out that he didn't know anything about running a business and that common sense didn't work so well either. Uh, he attended a lot of trainings, including mindfulness training, which was really probably the most helpful one for Michael. With combined 25 years of experience in finance and four years of mindfulness into moneyfulness, the book was published. His online programs have been published. His live programs and webinars are published as well. And again, that's moneyfulness and that's F-U-L-N-E-S-S dot M-E. Go there to learn more. And I was just telling him this morning, go to and download this little map that he's got. This thing is really cool. And I don't care if you have lots of years of experience in finance and think you know it all. This kind of lays out a plan, a map. And then here's this other one, this little mindfulness um, uh or mindset map, I should say, and what's your relationship with money. We're going to be speaking with Michael today. Michael, as you said, you start with a book uh, and you're introducing that you're age 21 and you get this label, 
underprivileged youngster uh, slapped into you because you had no professional training or any relevant experience. You further state that you had a false start, but quickly made it up for lost time. Please tell our listeners a little bit about your story and why you chose to write Moneyfulness, why you believe that mindfulness is so important uh, for people who are trying to attract money, keep money, and give money away. Okay, yeah. Thanks for having me, Greg. Uh, nice talking to you. Uh, let's start with the, the underprivileged youngster part. It sounds horrible to a lot of people, but uh, eventually it was the, the it was pivoting point in my uh, in my life uh, because I've been uh, yeah, kicked out of school. I've been uh, doing nothing right, uh, working in the factories and everything. So, but back then I thought, hmm, this is not exactly one, what I want to do with the rest of my life. Then I had a chance by the label underprivileged youngster to go back to school. So then I started studying again, which was pretty helpful. It's going great. It's quite easy. And then, uh, like you said, it's really like a, a mind shift. And uh, later on, I realized that your brain is one of the most powerful parts in your body. And you can uh, achieve a whole lot of things by setting the right intentions and having the right ideas and uh, putting them to, into action. So without any real education at the age of 21 and then running straight to the bachelor degree and a finance director of a company that employed over 400 people, that's quite unstoppable, I guess, to my opinion. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, if, if, you, if you realize how, how you did it, I still don't know how I did it. Just I shifted my mind. I just went for it and just moved on. And uh, made a career. Did you set a goal that you wanted to do that? Or did you just, was that your intention? Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's exactly. Um, not at the beginning when I started the, the education, but uh, within a year, I, I set the goal. This is one, one, what I want to achieve. And I thought in the beginning, I wanted to achieve it at the age of 40. And I already reached that point at the age of 30. So uh, it was really, really fast. So how important, Michael, I mean, what I want to get across here is mindfulness. People hear it talked about. They hear about the Dalai Lama and meditation. They hear about all these things. The question is in practicing those things to actually implement them and then to shift your subconscious. What did you understand about how important shifting your subconscious was to do be mindful not only be mindful, aware, and present, but setting your intentions. What? How did you find that? I know you said you took courses, but it, yeah. those courses opened up your mind to what you could become. Um, I started my own company, uh, like I said, at 43, which was quite late for uh, becoming an entrepreneur for, for a lot of people. But um I, when I did that, I started doing the trainings, also the, the entrepreneurship, the marketing, and all the all, all those kind of uh, trainings, but also the, the the personal growth trainings, and which mindfulness was one of them. I did more trainings, and uh, when I was an entrepreneur, I had my own software company, and I'm not I'm not an IT guy, I'm a financial guy, so I had another company. 
uh, doing the the main maintenance and the new ideas, the programming part. And I didn't read the small parts in the contract. So that cost me tens of thousands uh, in, in euros. So I got personally in debt as well. And then I started wondering, that's that's why I wrote Moneyfulness. Uh, I started wondering why don't I feel stressed out? When I when I was a finance director, I had lots of money. And I was thinking, oh, I don't want to lose my job. Oh, what will happen if I lose my job? I will lose my money. If I lose my money, I will lose my house. I will lose blah, 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 blah. You can make hundreds of stories up what you can do when you lose your job, your income. And then hmm, I wasn't personally in debt. And I thought, hmm, how is that possible? I'm having a pile of debt and I'm not really stressed out about it. And then it got me thinking, thinking about all the trainings I did and also about the mindfulness training and all the meditations I did. And so I came up with the idea, well, if I had a lot of stress when I had money, now I don't have money a couple of years ago, it's all, all turned, uh, turned out well, but a couple of years ago when I had no money and also not really stressed about it. So that puzzled me, made me think. So then I combined those two, the mindfulness part and the money part into moneyfulness. And you realized how powerful they were, uh, yeah. especially to have all that debt and not to be stressed out about it. You had to have an equilibrium around money, knowing that you would have more, that you would always have more, that there would be abundance in your life no matter what. Um, so as they say, the phoenix rises from the ashes. Uh, you know, I know in my own personal life, at one point I went bankrupt. And I, I know the pain of that psychologically. But today I sit here before you um, having more money than I ever had before I went bankrupt. And it wasn't because I got rid of the debt because I tell people they know about me. I paid 90 cents back on every dollar that I borrowed. So it wasn't like, hey, well, I had, I got rid of that much debt. It was that I had relief. I bought time, right? And sometimes that's what you have to do. And, you know, you speak about money method as the first phase of the moneyfulness. If you would speak with our listeners about the money method and why it is so important in reducing uh, financial affairs, stress, and worries, because that's what you were just talking about. That's what I have just talked about. Um, and, you know, you you say in here, uh, one of yours is, uh, plans tend to fail, postpone, check, or out of your other side of your money, Mac. If you plan to, if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. fail. Yeah, that's, a hundred percent sure. hundred percent true. <laughs> I so, like that phrase. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. That, that's a great Thanks for phrase. That one out. <laughs> I'm sorry that I, I messed it up twice, but the reality is you get it. If you fail to plan, you basically are planning to fail. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's true for most plenty that, you know, look, Michael, people will spend more time planning their vacation than they do their lifetime finances. Yeah. I'm so, sure. So, the the money method that's the uh, the mindset part the, the the brain part the way your brain works about money that's uh, the the uh, mindset opportunities not judging empowerment and yourself that's what lets money 
come from the money method. And uh, if you compare yourself to a tree, then and, and your brain are the roots of the tree. And if you have healthy roots, if you nurse your roots very well, you will have a perfect tree on the outside because nobody sees the roots, how the roots are, if, if they're uh, rotten or they're really healthy or it's good or bad or whatever it is. And if above the ground, you will see the outcome of your input. And if you nurture your brain, if you, you, you respect your brain and the way it works and your mindset, eventually what will, what other people will see will look great as well and will look fantastic. So that's basically about the money method. And it starts with the mindset. And that is one of the, the parts which is very important in the, in the money method. Uh, because the way you were brought up, as a child, has a huge influence um, on your uh, adulthood when you're an adult. Because when you when you're a child, there are a lot of things happening, and uh, especially a lot of people don't have memories b- before they were four years old. Let's say it. And until you reach the age of eight years old, then um, you're not really able to think critically. Like like if I hear or see something, hmm, is it true or not? Or do, can I make my own mind about it? So things happening, let's say, between four and eight years old are really influencing your brain. And it's if, then it's just the seed is planted and it grows. And it grows because you think, you overthink it, you relive it, and again and again and again. And the, the more often you think about it, rethink it, relive it, the more deeply it's, it's somewhere inside your brain. And when you're, uh, let's say, over 30 and you're a grown-up, you're still thinking it, but then it's an autopilot. You're not even realizing that you think it or you say it or whatever. A lot of people also don't realize what they actually say about money, the, 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 the things that they tell you about money and the way they act with money. So your mindset is towards money and uh, really thinking about the way you were brought up, like uh, what did your parents tell you? What did, what did you did you have uh, an uncle or an aunt or grandparents telling you, or what did the teacher tell you? Uh, a lot of things, fairy tales. Think think about the fairy tales. Uh, everything, everybody reads fairy tales to their to their children, right? <laughs> that's that's one of the things that's so that's for you michael what was it like growing up what were you told i mean i i know for me i br- was brought up with a jewish mother and a father who was quote catholic but not really they weren't supposed to get married my mom was extremely frugal and i use the term frugal but she was the saver my dad, so I got conflicting stories, was the spender. Mm. He was the risk taker. My mom was not a risk taker. Speak with us, if you would, when you have this uh, conundrum, no matter who's out there listening right now, around risk return and the thrifty penny saver uh, element. And I think these are kind of two sides that have to be balanced, right? Because uh, yeah. in one turn, you can't get uh, leverage yourself unless you leverage yourself 
you're probably not going to get a high return, right? On the other hand, if you just sit over here, you maybe don't get enough to even keep up with inflation, right? And especially the kind of inflation we're seeing today. So what what kind of household were you brought up in and how did you overcome uh, your own uh, uh, subconscious beliefs around money? Well, uh, I was brought up by uh, my parents, both also both frugal. So the, those savings, saying you have to save money, you have to save money for a rainy day, you have to save it, keep it, save it, <laughs> and just on a bank account and don't spend it. And no, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> to be honest, my sister inherited uh, that kind of thinking <laughs> and the way of acting with money. <laughs> and I'm more of a spender. <laughs> uh, you're the risk taker. <laughs> the risk taker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, uh, but the problem is my wife is, is the same type. Uh, she also likes to spend her money and is also taking risks. So uh, <laughs> You live <laughs> in a, a double family. risk-taking family then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when you, when you are brought up like with two people that are really frugal, uh, you learn how to budget. You learn how to save. Yeah. So that's that's what I what I picked up when I was uh, a youngster, let's say a teenager, and uh, I lost it during my twenties, roughly, and I found it back in my early thirties. So uh, <laughs> when you had the downturn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that happens, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in your section about convictions, you identified three types of convictions. This goes along with convictions, what we're talking about here. Yeah. What are these types and what advice would you give to the listeners in analyzing their convictions around money? Because right yeah. now we're talking about our convictions around money. Am I going to be the saver? Am I going to be the risk taker? Am I going to be this one? Am I going to be that one? So yeah. <laughs> what are the three types and what would you tell our listeners? Well, the 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 one is the first one is the bottom rung. And uh, that's the kind of people that say, I've learned until high school or university or whatever, uh, whatever you studied. And then you stop learning. And uh, you want to stay dependent on others or on welfare or you're blaming other people for bad luck, inflation or situation you are in. So you're actually blaming others and you're not taking action uh, to help yourself to get to a higher level or, or to, work, to, come, yeah, to have more money. So self-responsibility. You're not yeah. responsible yourself. They completely lack responsibility. Yeah, they always believe somebody else did it to them. They didn't do it themselves. And one thing we know from personal growth and all these 900 plus interviews I've done is if there's one key lesson you need to learn in life, and I don't know how many times I've told my listeners, but nobody outside of yourself is responsible for where you are except you. Yeah, I'm so sure. Once you get that one, that's a big one, isn't it, Michael? That's that's the first step. Yeah, that's the first step. (laughs) Yeah. And very, very important as well. But if you are, uh, let's say, broke within, uh, if you don't have any income, let's say in uh, two to three months, you're pretty close to the bottom rung. And then, uh, but then there's the, the middle class, middle group. 
And they, yeah, keep on learning. They get their graduation, uh, university, uh, have a nice house, have a nice car, and have a nice life. And yeah, they can live on for a couple of months when they don't have any income. And they save for a rainy day. They have their pension fund, uh, all, all well organized. But yeah, you still have the mortgage on the house. You still have the personal loan on the car or whatever it is. And it, it, but it, it looks quite quite fine. So that's a different kind of living because you're saving for your pension. You're saving for a rainy day. You're doing a little bit different than the ones blaming all the others. And you do the things you think you can can control, but not more than that. There's a whole lot of more things you can control than you think you can control. Absolutely. That's uh, So that's uh, uh, the middle class. And then uh, the rich ones are the ones that keep on learning, keep on investing in themselves. Uh, you, you have to invest as well as your money, as in your personal growth. So, uh, And they become financially independent by investing uh, money in the stock market or in houses or wherever you want to invest in. And you, you have to invest in the things you understand. Yeah. So that's domination. Those are the three. Well, it's yeah. interesting you talk about that because, you know, um, wherever one is in life, let's say you're the continual learner, you're the one that seeks to always understand more and educate yourself and invest in so on. Let's assume we have that class here we're talking about. Um, <laughs> there comes a point in their life where they have to decide how they're going to divvy that up. You know, in other words, I'm going to give it to my kids. I'm going to give it to charity. I'm going to get, I'm going to invest it philanthropically. I'm going to do whatever. What would you have? What would you say to people that are kind of sitting on, Hey, I'm sitting on a pile of money and I got enough for my kids, but I also have enough for the rest of the world. Um, what would you tell them? <laughs> make a plan. <laughs> make a plan. Yeah, make okay. a plan. What, what, what do you want to give to your children and to which charity? Because there's so many different kinds of charity. It's uh, yeah, you can choose from them, and, and but it has to do. You have to give it to something or some kind of organization or set up your own foundation, whatever you want. Right. So so that it goes to charity of your choosing. The, right. the, what you want and uh, yeah, also set, set the amount for your children but you have to uh, I don't know exactly the, uh, the regulations in the US but you have to plan that as well tax wise uh, yeah. to to get it to pay as less as possible taxes but to get it the, the, uh, the money to your kids well I think like in the Netherlands when you go into business today you have you know you can be a betterment company which is a company that's trying to do better for the world you can be a nonprofit you can be a for profit which is socially responsible there's so many ways that <clears throat> people can go and take yeah. their businesses today where their businesses aren't just businesses earning money to accumulate wealth they're earning money to change the world uh yeah. to make a difference on the planet and i think that's a big shift we've seen in society. It's it's one that's uh, much bigger today than it was. And you you speak with the listeners about 
the concept of a mind map. Now, I have mind mapping programs. I use AOA. I use a MindMeister. I use all kinds of tools like that. And how do we create a mind map for success? Because this is your, this is really what I call your mindset map. Um, and these look like mind maps, but if somebody was going to do one themselves, what would you recommend? Well, first of all, define what your success is. When is when do you reach the point that you can say, yes, now I am successful? Because uh, if you don't define your success uh, in the beginning, it's very hard to stop because you always take the next step, the next step. And when when do you think you are successful? What, what is the level of success? And uh, what do you accomplish? What do, what do you want to reach? I don't know. And if you put that in the center of your mind map and then start drawing all the things around you need, who do you need, what exercise you need, what education you need, uh, what can help you in in in, uh, in, in different ways, in uh, in time, you can speed it up, uh, money, uh, how 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 well, what what kind of leverages you can use to speed it up or to make it bigger, but still have the focus on what was success, your definition of success. If you start a company or or an NGO or whatever you want to do, charity, when are you successful? Can also be that uh, I am successful if I can help a uh, hundred people a year. Can also be success. So that's basically it's um, your definition of success. And but it's a plan. In other words, I get what you're saying is, you know, there's it's one thing to design. It's like innovating a new product. You developed a software company, so you know of all people. You know, there's software engineers, and then there's people that design interface, and then there's people that put it all together, and then there's marketing, and there's getting it to the public saying, I have a better mousetrap, right? This is a better solution. And in the end, though, every one of those steps from the initiation of, hey, I have an idea, all the way to executing and selling it and someone buying it because they think you have a good plan takes a lot of little steps. The mind map is supposed to consolidate all those steps so that you can act on it. Yeah, Yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, but you have to define your success uh, up front. When do you think, when when, when are you allowed to feel yourself successful? Because if you just start, like I did also with my, my software company, uh, you, the success was defined by the number of users of my software, right. people that I can help. So th- that was basically my uh, definition of success. Yeah. And, and it's different for everybody. And I, 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 I believe, and I know, having been through this, that if you don't do what Michael's saying, um, there's no kind of getting off of uh, uh, you're like a, um, a mouse in a cage running around in a circle. And so this planning is so important. And he says, what are you defining as success? Meaning, is it dollars? Is it number of users? Is it, you know, three more software companies? Is it somebody acquiring me, uh, buying my company, whatever it might be? Um, I, I get that. And I also get that there's 
road barriers that come in between you getting from, you know, the mind map to that. But each morning you wake up taking one small step in the next direction is what's important. And you state that worrying is a necessary evil, but it's not a pleasant feeling, but that it helps discover what needs to be fixed. There isn't an entrepreneur out there that probably doesn't worry about the next step. Uh, How am I going to get it done? Who's going to do it? Uh, How is it going to be successful? How would you advise the listeners to convert worrying time and energy into positive energy and action? Because it is a, it's a big shift. I mean, uh, Dr. Jim Laura talks about just energy management. And I think what an entrepreneur or anybody does in their life, you're given so much energy, right? And how you expend that energy really depends upon the success. Where are you going to put that energy, right? So how would you tell them to get that energy into more positive energy versus this negative worry energy that sucks the life out of you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if, if you don't worry that much, then there's not a problem because you, the, your brain is only four, four percent roughly of your, of your entire body weight and it consumes over 20 percent of your energy, your daily energy. And if you use it for worrying and worrying is, 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 is like sitting in a rocket chair, you're moving, but you're not getting anywhere. So it keeps your mind busy and working and working. And it doesn't help you. So first of all, if you uh, don't allow yourself to worry longer than 30 minutes a day, and if you're really someone that worries a lot, eh? if you don't worry at all, don't do it. Don't take half an hour. But if you're a person that really has a lot of things to worry, just cut it off to half an hour and don't allow yourself the rest of the day to worry anymore. And then if you do that for, it doesn't work the first time, you have to do it a couple of times. But eventually, there were there are some topics that you keep on that keep on getting back in your half hour worry time. And uh, if you have pinpointed three or four topics, then you can just take one and just start working on it. And then if you if you have if you just keep on worrying, there are hundreds of topics. But by having it within the half hour, you force yourself to worry about the most important things that are, that are really bothering you because if it's not bothering you, you're not worrying about it. And if you take action, if you do something about that part that you're worrying about and you can see, you can turn it around, you can overcome it or you can uh, do something with it or you, whatever you can do with it, that it's not, that it stops you worrying about that topic. It gives you a healthy feeling. I think the key is to get it so that it's not predominant in your mind. So if, you know, I know uh, postponing something is something that protracts worry. Like people will just say, well, I I don't want to really do this, right? Uh, So I'm going to put it off to tomorrow. And I think, you know, in the United States right now, and I'm a culprit of this too, you know, nobody really likes to do their taxes, but we, we say, well, we got to do our taxes. They're due by April 15th. So that means there's like maybe 25 days left to do your taxes, right? And for us, that means going to an accountant or getting on a software program or doing something, filing your taxes. 
But there are a lot of people that will worry about that. It's like, oh my gosh, I have, you know, I got a deadline. It's imposed by the government to get this done. Um, if you would, empowerment, acceptance, control, avoidance, insurance, complaining. Uh, speak with us about that, if if you would, because you you have it in the book. And I'd say acceptance is a really important one. And that's certainly a mindfulness practice um, because we can only do what we can do, uh, what we have the ability to do. Uh, what's the statement? You probably know it. God grant me the ability to understand what I can't do and is in my control and what's out of my control. Uh, allow me not to worry about it. Right. Yeah. And I know I messed that up completely because there is a great statement around that, but it's like, well, why worry about the stuff that you have no control over? You know, it's, 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 I I'd say one of those a great example for my listeners is, okay, we hear the nightly news about Ukraine. Well, can we do anything about Ukraine? Meaning can we as an individual? No. Can you donate money to the refugees? Sure. Go donate money to the refugee work that's in Poland, which is part of what I'm doing right now. But can you allow Putin to occupy your mind every minute? It's craziness. You yeah. got to move on. Uh, is that a good example? Uh, I wrote it in my book uh, based on risk, risk management, how you do your uh, risk assessments. But uh -huh. uh, it's also about the way you were, you think about uh, things. Because if that, just back to the uh, the worrying part, you can accept the situation as it is. Yes. So like like you said, that that's that's exactly the way you can deal with things. The second one is the control. If you can you can uh, take action, how can I uh, get control? over my risk or my problem or whatever I fear. Like it's, it's, it's a, a, like driving a car. When you go on the road, uh, you accept the risk that you might hit someone else or someone else's car. Uh, but you can control your risk by having an airbag. Because if you don't have an airbag and you bump into someone else, you'll have a severe in injury. But by having an airbag, you control the risk of having your face hurt or whatever might may, may happen. Right. You, you can also avoid it by not driving a car. That's <laughs> avoiding yeah. uh, a problem or a risk or uh, something that worries. Just avoid it. And uh, you can also in, in have an insurance for it. You transfer the risk or you transfer the problems to someone else. And you pay like the, you, you have a car insurance for for troubles troubling your car. You pay a uh, premium insurance. That's uh, that's not a way of dealing with some kind of issue, whatever right. it is. Right. So you mitigate the risk. Yeah. yeah. You mitigate the risk. Yeah. Well, right. you created you created eight sacred money archetypes based on the common reactions about money. I like this part. Can you give us a brief overview of each of the eight archetypes and? Why they're so important? Because you know, obviously, that's this is a key to your book. Yeah, that's very important. Um, because if you know your strengths and your pitfalls, you can uh, grow your strengths and you can go around your pitfalls. So, therefore, it's very important to know and to recognize and to look in the mirror what kind of money type you are. 
So, but that's uh, briefly, just quickly go through all uh, all eight of them. Uh, first of all, there's the, the controller. That's uh, money is success. They can have a huge impact. They can build companies. They can look in the future and have great futures, but they fail to live in the present. They don't enjoy the moment. They didn't say, this is my level. This is when I'm when I'm successful. Just keep on moving ahead and ahead and ahead. So that's that's a problem with uh, the controller. If you have the, the, the romantic, they love the good things in life. They love to spend it. feels good. So uh, there will always be more, more of everything, more of time, money, whatever it is you need, you want. There's always more in that. But they have lavish lifestyle, so they regret also. They feel guilty when they buy something. Uh, very impulsive, impulsively. There's the, uh, the alchemist. They, uh, there's a, a love-hate relation with, with money. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really idealistic. They, they create value for themselves and others, uh, but they rely on others as well. So they're not really independent. So if you always rely on someone else, it's always not a very nice habit. There's the, the collector. Just keeps on collecting. More and more money, more and more saving, saving, more and more money, like like my parents were. The, the, these were two real collectors, just keep on keep on saving money, but they they don't enjoy life. Mm-hmm. They don't they didn't enjoy their don't enjoy their money. Right. So they're they're still in the mid seventies and still uh, accumulating their money. That's the way they wanted. They feel good. And, by and, it. and when they do uh, spend money, they beat themselves up for it. <laughs> That's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely true. Yeah. So the, the caretakers, they, uh, they have difficulty setting boundaries. Uh, they just give everything away, even to martyrdom. So that's also not always the best way to act. Uh, the connector, there's all about relationships. Just, just how, how are the relationships? How, how do I re- relate to you? How do I relate to other people? What do other people think? But there's no stress in the money. There's always optimism because I know people, they can help me. I can help them. They can help me. There's a huge lot of, uh, a whole lot of people running around. And, uh, but again, the same lack of financial independence is the, the pitfall they, uh, they can get into. Number seven is a celebrity. And, and that's just like the name it says. It's just, they just throw it all away just, just for the, uh, they, they drive the expensive cars, expensive jewelry. Uh, just have to show off everything. So they were always broke. <laughs> and and the last one is uh, the outsider is uh, really fascinated by uh, by money. They can look into complex, really really complex situations. They can handle it very well. Structured way of thinking, really the way of working. But if you are an outsider, you can also take huge financial risks. Yeah. So that's always not always that that helpful. <laughs> well, those are great archetypes, and they really do help to explain. And I would probably say I fall in the connector category. So I'm going to tell all my listeners to uh, go out and um, get your book, most certainly. Um, the next question is really around opportunities. You enumerated 10 steps uh, to realize what you want. You've said several times during this, create your plan know what you want, know what success is. Can you talk to the listeners um, 
kind of about the steps from dream to realization, because there's a lot of steps in between to try and get there. Um, And I think what's important is not to stumble. Um, I always say falling is not failing as long as you get up. Um, And, you know, it's like me, I fell, but I got back up again. As long as you didn't allow what happened to me, which was bankruptcy to defeat me, um, I always think there's another day. Yeah, that's completely true. That's, uh, it, it has a set, uh, first of all, it has, you have to set a clear goal. Just visualize, this is, have, have to set the clear goal and what is successful, when it's successful. And the second one is just to visualize it. Just see it happening, feel it happening. Uh, have all your your five senses senses feel it see it hear it enjoy it visualize it what is your end goal and then start implementing you have to you have to you have to do something because uh, if you can dream whatever you want but if you if you don't do anything it will always remain a dream so that's that's basically a very important <laughs> and then uh, visualize the smaller steps uh, the results of your actions uh, you you visualize the, the the end goal but also the smaller steps what am i going to do now and how is it going to to work out for me and then the next step and the next step and so on you have to be committed commit to your goal just be be in line with your end goal and all your smaller steps be committed to it um, and your choices, make the right choices, always in line with your end goal. If you make the right choices in line with your end goal, you will eventually get there. And yes, you may take a wrong turn, but you can always get back to, back on track. Mm. So also realize that nothing is impossible. Uh, if you, if you, you can uh, think it, you can realize it. Uh, whatever you think, you, you can do. So that's uh, nothing is possible, and you have to willing to do the work because if you don't take action, you don't do the work. Yeah, you have the one hit wonders, but uh, that that come overnight. But most successes take time, take action, take work. You have to do the work. And you also have to find the right people who are willing to help you, who can can help you further. But don't forget them. But yeah, you have to find the right people also. Uh, people that can inspire you, inspire you uh, to do the right thing, to to help you moving on to the next step. When you're everybody has his ups and downs, when you're a little bit down, and someone gives you just a little push that you can move on, th- these are the right people. They're really motivating you, and you have to keep on learning because it, it always looks like a straight line up, but it, it's uh, it's a bumpy road. <laughs> and uh, if you learn from your bumps, then uh, then you'll you'll get there eventually. Well, you know, those 10 steps, or I should say 10 ways of being, because it's just how you have to become, um, are valuable. They're valuable as long as you look at them. And again, I tell people because what Michael just said, you know, uh, is in the book, right? So you can get it out of the book. You can also go to his website. Now, Michael, and we're going to put a link to the website, moneyfulness.me is where you can go to get that. This will put a link to Amazon. 
so that you can go. Um, and also 10% of the income from the book uh, will be donated to the Moneyfulness Foundation to Fight Poverty. Uh, so I love that as well. Thank you. This is a Morgan James book, by the way. By the way. Uh, three things, Michael, that you'd like to leave our listeners as takeaways. If they were to walk away from this interview and say, here's what I remembered about my interview with Greg Voison and Michael Keith, uh, what would those three things be? <laughs> well, first, first, and that's the, the, the fundamentals of mindfulness is that it's both your mindset and practical money management because you have to manage your money in a practical way as well. So both are equally important. And uh, it's also both is approximately 50% of the book. So it's, it's both are very important. And some get uh, can, can reduce their stress by their mindset and the, the, the mindfulness part and the way of thinking uh, like that. And others just don't know how to calculate. Uh, and uh, just they can get peace of mind by, hmm, I, am, uh, I, I do, actually do have more money than I, I thought I had because a lot of people don't know how much money they have. Strange but true. So that's one, uh, one, one takeaway. And uh, we didn't really talk about the financial comfort zone, but everybody has a financial comfort zone. And uh, most of the convictions come from your childhood, from your parents, you know, the, the fairy tales or wherever music. Um, and uh, increase your financial comfort zone. Uh, a lot of people just, and whether it's uh, just a maximum of, of a gross salary you earn in the company or uh, the maximum amount in your bank account, everybody has a financial comfort zone and just keep on growing, keep on learning, keep on reading, keep on doing things that increases your comfort zone. Your, and in my case, your financial comfort zone. And uh, the last one is uh, be kind to yourself and to others. And also, uh, we just talked about donating but also be kind to yourself, accept your current situation. Uh, it is what it is. You can't change it. It happened in the past. You can't change it right now. So be kind to yourself and don't keep on punishing yourself and uh, live the life of your dreams. It's uh, Those are great takeaways. And I have one, ad- one last thing to add. You know, money is a man-made concept. Uh, It's a belief you carry around in your head. And it's also referred to as currency, C-U-R-R-E-N-C-Y, currency. And, you know, I always look at money, and this is from a mindfulness perspective, that it's about flow. You know, money is supposed to flow in and out. Now, For those of us who've been brought up with parents where they said save money for a rainy day, it wasn't so much about flowing. It was about capturing, right? Building a dam. And this is my own philosophy to my listeners. There's a equilibrium you have to meet. You can have so much water behind the dam and then it's going to burst. You can allow the money to come through and do good. And the reality is, is it's meant to flow in and out of your life. Um, And I think perspectively, from a mindfulness standpoint, that's a very important thing to remember. Um, And 
it's the other mindset thing that Michael talked about is as long as you inset your intention and you have your affirmations that you will always have more, more will flow in, right? There's a constant flow. You don't need to be so concerned like Michael's been able to do about spending it and investing it. Because there's two things. You can spend it on something you want, or you can invest it into your future, right? So you've been very, very insightful. Thank you for being on. We're going to put a link to uh, his website and the courses as well. Uh, We'll put a link to the book. You can reach out to Michael directly. His website is very open to get in touch uh, to have him work with you as a coach, come to an event, go to one of his programs. Uh, I encourage everyone to do it. It's a very, very, very good system. Uh, he also has his online programs and he's got um, one that starts as low as $67, no subscription. Uh, there's 10 videos in that. And then the full on program that's $597. Um, are you offering any discounts on either of those two, Michael? Will we be giving the listeners some discounts? Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, both have a discount. So, okay, great. Great. So thank you all for listening. Thanks, Michael Keat from the Netherlands. It's been another yeah. wonderful, uh, podcast interview. You have a wonderful evening. Thanks, Rick, for having me and uh, have a nice day to you. Okay. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.